Welcome to Bible Greek VPod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 17. In this lesson, you will learn the optative mood, and then we will look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. First, let's look at the optative mood. The optative is the mood of strong contingency. Like the subjunctive, it is the mood of possibility, but the optative expresses a wish or a desire. The word optative comes to the English from the Latin optativus, meaning chosen or a wish. The first use of the optative is the optative of wish or prayer. The optative is the common usage of the verb for expressing a wish. For example, Romans 3, verses 3 and 4 say this, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Here's the optative, may it never be. I love that. Paul loves to use that uh, optative there. May it never be. Uh, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So the optative, may it never be, is used there. An example of a prayer with the optative is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God, that's the optative uh, used as a prayer, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct, there's the another optative there, direct our way to you. So Paul uses two optatives. Now may, may is the optative, and direct. Next, we have the optative of deliberation. The optative is often used in questions where the speaker is pondering the meaning of a thing. For example, Luke chapter 1 verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this might be. There is the optative of deliberation. The greeting might be. She was pondering the greeting. Next, we have the optative of possibility. At times, the optative is used in conditional sentences to express a consequence in the future of an unlikely condition. Dr. Wallace says this, if he could do something, he would do this. That is an example of an optative used as a conditional sentence. If he could do something, then the other side of that condition is he would do this, then he would do this. So an example is found in Acts chapter 17, verse 18. It says this, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what would he wish to say? There's the optative of possibility. What would he wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So there's the optative of possibility. What would he wish to say? Dana and Manti write this. Expressed fully, the example would read, what would he wish to say if he could say anything? 
These optatives occur as the fulfillment of a condition which is implied. The condition is implied. And in the great majority of instances, we can supply from the context the implied condition. That is the optative mood. Let's move on to our text for the day, and I hope you've gone to the website and you got the detailed analysis and, and you have the detailed analysis before you. So let's take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Do not believe everything you hear. That is how I have titled it. John is dealing with heresies in his church in his day. The problem is that the culture moves into the church, and in Ephesus, and much of the Hellenized world, the three major problems have to do with Greek philosophy. The physical is evil, and the spiritual is good. John adds the problem of secret revelation from God, alluding to the desire that popular culture had for consultation with Greek oracles. Dr. Leitner writes this, The entire system of Gnosticism was built on the opposites and antagonisms between matter and spirit. Gnostics believed these two opposites were reconciled through spirit beings called aeons. Gnostics denied the incarnation of Christ and made a difference between Jesus and Christ. So, in other words, Christ cannot come in the flesh because that would mess with their philosophy, the Greek philosophy. In this section, John addresses these problems that have crept into the church in that day. For the case where Greek philosophy says the physical is evil, John counters that Jesus came in the flesh. Furthermore, for the case of special divine communication, John uses the phrase, test the spirits. For the Christian cult that denies the Trinity because it denies the true humanity of Jesus or the true divinity of Jesus, this section speaks volumes. From birth to resurrection, Jesus Christ was born of the flesh, lived in the flesh, died in the flesh, and was resurrected in the flesh. He is right now at the right hand of the Father with his physical resurrected body until his second coming. It is here in these verses that one finds support for Johannine authority as Polycarp quotes 1 John 4 verses 2 and 3 when he writes, Everyone who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is Antichrist. This is Polycarp speaking. And whoever does not confess the testimony of the cross is of the devil. Whosoever perverts the oracles of the Lord to his own lust and says that there is neither resurrection nor judgment, he is Satan's firstborn. <laughs> that is Polycarp. Uh, definitely he was a understudy of John. Well, let's look at uh, verse 1. The first phrase of verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. See, deception in the church is as certain as Satan is the ruler of this world trying to, to destroy God's work and his people. John means to make this point by use of the vocative of agapitas, 
It's evocative masculine plural, beloved ones. In addition to the imperative, believe not. The choice of the adjective beloved ones serves as a kindly address, expressing their common bond in Christ. Since all truth is in Christ, they are not to believe every person who seems to be in the Spirit. The use of the word spirit suggests John wanted to highlight the pagan aspect of their popular culture. The Greek culture of seeking advice from oracles. An oracle is one that would set up shop and practice the ancient art of the occult, where the priest or the priestess would utter a prediction directly from the gods. Several prominent oracles were located in the famous temples of Apollo in Delphi, Didema, and Corinth. Others were prominent in at temples in Zeus, particularly the one at Dodona. These utterances were called, listen to this, charismoi. It sounds like charismatic, charismoi. Same word, same root word. And a sample of what they were like can be found in the famous Sabeline oracles. Their influence among Jewish and Christian groups is staggering within the Hellenized world and was a corrupting influence upon the true biblical message, the character of God, and the doctrine of special revelation. The expression, do not believe every spirit, suggests that there are some among them that claim the spirit and to speak in the spirit, but it is not the Holy Spirit that is talking, but rather their own, and it is a form of blasphemy. As is always the case, the culture creeps into the church and serves as a constant problem where true Christian teaching is corrupted by outside influences and beliefs. This speaks of the personal responsibility every believer has in examining what is said in the pulpit and what comes out of every Christian's mouth. Do not believe everything that someone says. Even if they claim special revelation from God, there are a lot of experiential, emotional, even miraculous events that are used to spread lies. We have all heard of a personal case where through some sort of emotional bait and switch move, the true meaning of who Christ is and how one is saved has been perverted to mean something other than the biblical truth. So the apostle commands them not to believe. Pistuo, the imperative, the present active imperative, do not believe every spirit. Paul deals with the same mysticism when he writes to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, it is happening in Paul's day also. He continues, But even if we or an angel from heaven, notice that, Paul did the same thing John does, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you 
than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. Uh, someone translate anathema. As we have said before, so we say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul repeats it. It is a big problem. It is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual battle. Let's move to the second phrase. But examine the spirits whether he is from God. The conjunction Allah, but, forms a transition to the matter at hand. That is to say, the central matter is the examination of everything that a person says, especially those in leadership. Measure what they say, or as John writes, dokamazo, a present active imperative, second person plural. Test it, examine it, scrutinize it. Literally, it says, you recognize as genuine after examination. The force of the imperative is important as the present tense means continuous action, as we are to continuously be on guard of the truth. The great Dr. Linsky writes this, Keep testing for the source. Ever become more proficient in this work is John's behest. This is what Linsky says. He continues, The world is full of counterfeit coins. It seems that all the apostles loved this word, dokaimadzon. Paul uses it and its derivatives quite often. In their day, metals and coins were constantly weighed and tested before they were accepted. Dr. Linsky added that. So back to our text, the plural of pneuma with the definite article, the spirits, plural, points to the fact that it is the spirit of man that communicates with the spirit of God. As such, the Holy Spirit will not contradict himself, but the spirit of man will contradict itself as it can follow itself and be self-seeking or follow evil and lying spirits who have a history of deception. And further, we are warned about evil spirits in the New Testament. Be on guard. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-2. through 2. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the last times some will turn away from the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and demonic instructions through the hypocrisy of liars and with branded consciousnesses. Wow. We're warned about this. It should not be a surprise. I continue to be surprised um, at, when, when I see this happen. The deception. A church is broken up because of deception. It just continues to surprise me. But I shouldn't be surprised. Well, the Spirit of God testifies to man the truth that has already been taught. So John means to highlight the point that truth has its source from God as he uses the preposition ek, out of, or from, uh, to, theo, along with ami, the ami verb, indicating origin. That is the ablative case indicating origin. Let's move to the next phrase, verse 1. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. 
The reason for this command is now given as the Hati because there are paloi pseudo-prophetai, many false prophets around. The word pseudo-prophetas, it's a nominative plural, means one who acts the part, literally a false prophet. From the compound of pseudos, lying, deceitful, or false, and prophet, a prophet. Notice the verb of this phrase is in the perfect tense of ek erakomai, the perfect active indicative, third person plural, to come or go forth, meaning they have gone forth into the world in the past and are still around. The point in time that they went out is not given. It just simply means they have already gone out in time past and the action is still in effect. In a sense, one might say, they have been with us since the fall. The second question that naturally comes to mind is who sent them out? The answer, of course, is the father of lies, Satan himself, who is the ruler of this world. Move down to verse 2. The first phrase, By this you know the Spirit of God. There was a problem in that church with the Gnostics, who denied Jesus was holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy God and holy human, W-H-O-L-L-Y. The result was a denial that God could take on flesh. John addresses this problem directly, calling that doctrine heresy. He strongly responds, saying, By this you know the Spirit of God. The preposition with a demonstrative pronoun, in tuto, is instrumental of means. Most translate by this, meaning by means of this statement of fact, you will know the source is from the Spirit of God. The verb gnosko may be either the present active indicative second plural or the present active imperative second plural. But I take it as the indicative case. And hence, a statement of fact follows. The object of this phrase is pneuma. With the definite article, that's a singular. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Look at the next phrase. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. This phrase presents a simple state of fact. The Spirit of God testifies to us, and we in turn testify that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and serves as a foundation of the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. This points to one of the false doctrines that was being taught in that day, and indeed is one of the fundamentals of the Gnostic philosophy, specifically that the flesh is evil. Did not God create all things, and did he not say what he created was good? The difference between the biblical creation account and the strange Greek mythology is that the ever-existing God created all things, and that sin and evil is a spiritual condition. Notice that. It's a big difference. 
What is evil proceeds from the mouth and the heart. We know that from Isaiah 59 and from Matthew 15. So it is that the subject is a universal used with the adjective pos. Every pneuma, every spirit, it's the universal. There are no exceptions to the truth of the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, that's spoken of in Isaiah chapter 7, and then Matthew picks it up in chapter 1, quoting Isaiah chapter 7. What a confession we have, that he that was sinless bore the sins of the world in his physical bodily death, burial, and resurrection. The word for confess is the Greek homolegao, present active indicative, third person singular. To say the same thing as another. That's what to confess means. To call it like God calls it. To concede or to profess. The present tense means continues to confess that Jesus came in the flesh. There is no mistaking the inclusion of Emmanuel's complete name. Eson, Christon. Isun, Jesus, means Jehovah is salvation. Or the Savior, Christos, means Christ, the Anointed One, or the Messiah. So it is the Anointed Savior is his name, or the Savior, you could say, the Messiah. Notice that the perfect participle is used for has come in the flesh. Then, as if to make it completely clear, and as if to directly address the Greek Gnostic philosophy concerning the flesh, John uses the word sarx. Ooh, sarx. The flesh, the body, the material body specifically. The source of this knowledge is from God. It is a genitive of source, meaning every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh has received this knowledge, and its source is from ek to theu, from God. Move down to verse 3, the first phrase. And every spirit that is not confessing Jesus Christ, the one who has come in the flesh, is not from God. The universal continues with the negative statement that every spirit, that's the pon numa, not confessing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is not from God. The negative particle may, not, modifies the verb homolegao, present active indicative third person singular, to confess, meaning to say the same thing as another, or continuously not confessing the fact. The object of the phrase is ton ison Christon, Jesus is the name we should be professing to the world. The natural question that arises when a name is proclaimed is, Who is this Jesus? What follows should be an explanation of who he is. Emmanuel, God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. What a story this is. God died for his creation so that through his righteous act, Man is able to possess eternal life. The Savior of the world came. 
was manifested. That is to say, he came in sarks, in the flesh. The Greek sarks means the flesh or the body. The use of the word flesh is meant to silence the Greek Gnostic philosophers and their doctrine that the flesh is evil and the spirit is good. Biblically speaking, the spiritual part of man is evil, corrupted, and in need of transformation. The heart of man is evil from his youth. This, of course, is not a reference to the physical heart, but the metaphoric usage, meaning the seat of the appetites, emotions, and passions of man. Notice that the perfect participle of erakamai, perfect active participle, accusative masculine singular, has come, points to the fact that Jesus came in the flesh in the past and his coming is complete. His propitiation is a one-time event in the past. It will never happen again. It was a one-time offering and it is finished. Those professing the false testimony are identified as never having its source from God as a continuous action of the any verb expresses. The next phrase. And this one is from the Antichrist. The source of this great deception is identified as the Antichrist. The demonstrative pronoun is in the nominative case, expressing that the subject is in fact acting in the spirit of Antichrist. The definite article 2 is in the neuter, pointing to the abstract agent of the neuter, every spirit that confesses Jesus did not come in the flesh. The source is a singular point of origin, as the genitive of source points directly to Antichristos, the Antichrist. The definite article points to a definite person that is masculine. The term Antichrist comes from the compound anti, over against, opposite to, and Christos, Christ. The idea is that there is one that opposes the true Christ and is controlled by Satan. Satan and Satan and his influence upon the world system mean that there are those today who possess the spirit of Antichrist. Notice that. Spirit of Antichrist and are actively spreading deception within our churches today. In essence, Antichrist is seen as the chief human agent of Satan in, in the future. Antichrist will come in the future. The Antichrist will not come upon the scene in, until a future time, though his influence, his schemes, and techniques are evident today in all those who oppose Christ, chief of which is denying that Jesus came in the flesh. We have a description of Christ as the image of God. That's who Christ is. He is the image of God. But we have the Antichrist as the image of Satan. Notice that. Move on to the next phrase. Which you have heard 
that it comes and at this time it is in the world already. The relative pronoun is in the neuter, that which, you could say, indicating that the subject is the spirit of Antichrist. Did you notice that? It was masculine before, but now John is speaking in terms of a neuter, the spirit of Antichrist, which is the message that was heard, and that which was heard is in the perfect tense of akuo, you have heard, meaning that what they heard was in the past and it still stands. The fundamentals never change, can never change, and those who change the facts are doing so at their own destruction. Notice what Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says. It's just amazing to me, all of these warnings. Here's what it says. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. See, Peter's talking about this. He's talking about who is the Savior, the master who bought them. The present tense of Arachomai, to come, speaks of the fact that the works of the devil are active and alive in John's day. So to make sure you do not mistake Antichrist's present activity, John adds, Kai noon in to cosmo estin ete, which is translated, and is now in the world already. The redundant use of the temporal world's words now and already makes this statement even more exclamatory. There is no mistaking the fact that spiritual forces are already actively at work trying to destroy the word and the work of God. Look at verse 4. The child of God knows the truth. You are from God little children, and you have overcome them. The personal pronoun, henis, you all, is addressing everyone in the church as they are a possession of God, ek ton theon. The verb is the state of being verb of eni, to be, meaning they are at the time of writing a possession of God. Notice the use of the vocative for technon. It's a vocative nominative plural. Little children. Normally the vocative would be placed at the head of the phrase in the English. Little children, you are from God. That's how it would normally be in the English. But here, the emphasis is upon their position with God. The perfect of the nekao, perfect active indicative, second person plural, to conquer means to carry off the victory or overcome. The little children have been saved, rescued out of the slave market of sin, plucked out of the general population and set aside as a possession of God. As such, they possess everything they need to continue overcoming the world, the sins of the world, and them, the atus, overcoming them, Notice that, the plural, atus, the false teachers, 
false prophets, those that possess the spirit of Antichrist. What a blessing it is to be possessed of God and fall under his protective care. They can take your life, but they cannot take us out of God's hands, for God has written this. First, in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who gave them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a blessing that is. Move down to the next phrase. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The reason for one being able to overcome the world, whether that which is overcome are the schemes, the philosophies, or the desires, is because God is sovereign over all. He is all-powerful and in control. In the battle between the devil and God, who do you suppose will win? The reason that one overcomes is given by the Hati Clause. Because the one that is in you all is Mazon, greater, larger, or stronger than the devil. Notice the standalone usage of the nominative masculine definite article for both the one in you and the one in the world. The standalone usage of the definite article serves to identify the two distinct individuals. God and the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer is greater than the one that is ruler of this world, the devil. The comparative particle, A, either or than, complements the superlative greater, identifying just who is greater. Look at verse 5. They are from the world. In verse 4, the singular definite article points to an individual. But now, John moves to the plural, atoi, they, meaning those who are agents or representatives of the devil that are spread out throughout the cosmos, the world, and indeed make up the world's system, characterized by sin, deception, and bondage. The genitive with the preposition ek makes this a genitive of source, meaning the source of where they originate from, the world system of Satan. We have had a lot of genitives of source during this section because John wants to identify where is the source of your possession. The next phrase, out from this they are speaking from the world. What does it mean to speak through or by the world? This is another way of saying their words, really their sayings, as the Greek leleo, uh, to say or speak, is used instead of logos, it's le leleo. These sayings come from the world system. That very system that opposes God and everything holy to God. The preposition dia, through or by, together with the neuter, neuter demonstrative pronoun, hutas, this means the message and philosophy that comes from this evil system that opposes God. 
means these messages and philosophies that come from the evil system that opposes God. This brings to mind the following proverb. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. What this proverb teaches is that if you follow any argument from the perspective of the godless fool, then you will end up agreeing with him. But his starting point is incorrect. Instead, answer the fool, starting the argument from the perspective of including God in the argument, and you will show the fool that his godless perspective makes his argument false. Has your church replaced the gospel and the word of God with preaching secular psychology and modern business models to grow the church? Is the message more about you than him? Eventually, the apostate church will deny the authority of the Word of God and the power of the gospel. Eventually, it will remove some aspect of the Word of God and add its own word as authoritative. The result is there are more of man's words and less of God's word preached. The simple will become complex. That which is evil according to God's word becomes good. These are the worldly ideas that serve to replace the gospel of Christ. Modern secular evolutionary naturalism and the denial of miracles means Jesus was not born a virgin, making him a sinner instead of the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secular psychology moves the message away from Christ and the power of the gospel to a needs-based message where the sinner is encouraged to overcome and have faith in oneself without the acknowledgement and confession of sin, without the Holy Spirit, in some form of self-reliance. Finally, in John's case, the charismatic supernatural mystical world replaces the solid foundation we have in the Word of God, where secret knowledge is only revealed to the super-spiritual and is placed above the Word of God. God's Word has been written. It is sufficient. It's tested and true. We possess everything we need today in His Word and His Spirit. Move to the next phrase. And the world hears them. Those not belonging to God are those that belong to the world and the devil. It is they that hear and accept the message of the world. The present verb, akuo, to hear, means the world continues to hear the message of the world. They perpetuate the false message. The word cosmos is used metaphorically to mean the present condition of human affairs in alienation and opposition to God. Move down to verse 6. We, we are from God. The one who knows God hears us. He that is not from God does not hear us. 
The emphatic nature of John's exhortation is emphasized by the expression hemis ek tu theu estin. We, we are from God. The emphatic usage is there. The distinct relationship means we are a possession of God as the genitive communicates and further emphasizes our responsibilities as ambassadors of Christ. The new relationship we have with God means we have a new capability to hear Him and accept His Word, and in like manner, He hears us. The present participle with the definite article of ginosko, to know or to understand, identifies the one that continues to know us and also hears us. The controlling verb, akuo, is again in the present tense, meaning he is hearing us. The relative pronoun hos introduces the phrase that speaks of the one that is not from God. This lack of possession results in their not hearing us. Notice what Paul says concerning this matter. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. For he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The message of the New Testament is, consistent. John says the same thing that Paul says, just in a little different way. Move down to the next phrase. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. The preposition ek, from, with the demonstrative pronoun hutas, this, is most often translated by this, meaning by this characteristic and message one can know the true child of God. The construction ek tuto finishes the thought opened in verse 2 by the construction in tuto. Notice there's a slight difference there. This knowledge is continuous as the present tense is used for ginosko, to know or understand. John uses the first person plural, including himself, in knowing the pneuma the spirit of alethe, of the truth. Definite article is added there. 
In contrast to the spirit of truth is the pneuma, the spirit of plain, of error, or delusion. John is stating how to test and how to know the spiritual origin, nature, and quality of men. He describes how to know who are pseudo-prophets and who belong to their following, how to discern true teachers, apostles, believers who speak from God. You do not try to look into their hearts. You simply listen to what they confess, to what they utter, the leon of verse 5, to what they let you hear. And note who gives ear to the one speaker and who to the other speaker. That is how to tell men apart, the spirits of men. I hope you have enjoyed this lesson. Now go and translate verses 7 through 11 and come back for the next lesson. Mm -hmm.